You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We are getting into the Word of God this morning, and because it's Palm Sunday, we're going to read out of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join with me in turning there. Um, as always, there's Bibles on that table or kind of right here at the back of the chairs. Feel free to grab one of those. I'll re- be reading out of the NIV translation. Or if you have your iPhone app, you can grab that as well. But um, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus, we're going to look into that. And why we're doing that is, you know, traditionally for the church worldwide, what today is referred to as Palm Sunday. That's why these palms are up here. That's not just because we cut them down and put them up here, but there's significant parts in our text today that will refer to those. But what Palm Sunday is, is it's the last Sunday uh, in Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter, and it's the Sunday before Easter. Um, It's the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. And again, this is the most important week for us as Christians. Again, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the defining part of our faith. Without the death and the resurrection, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, our faith is made void. It's, It's pointless. It's worthless. The gospel that we preach does not have any value or weight to it if Jesus did not actually die and rise again from the dead. And so... In light of that, as a church, we pause, we reflect, we remember, we like make space for the most important event of our faith. And so what we'll read and learn today is that Palm Sunday uh, commemorates Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem for the Jewish holiday of Passover, and the crowds, for the very first time, publicly acknowledging him as the Messiah and Savior. Really big deal. Really big deal. Really big moment. I wish I could transport us all to the Mount of Olives where this happened, right outside the old city walls of Jerusalem. I've been there a few times reading this story, and, I, and, I, and I, one day maybe we'll go as a church, uh, Lord willing. But I, I, this actually happened. This is actually a historical event. We're going to read, we're going to dig in, we're going to look at the significance of what happened some 2,000 years ago right outside the old city, well, city walls of, of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives in the Kidron Valley there. And, uh, but let's go ahead and read our text. Um, this is Mark's account. It's so important that it's actually in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's kind of a telltale that like, whoa, that's important. Um, we're going to read Mark's account today, and it says this. Mark 11, verse 1, NIV translation says, As they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his followers, and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt, or a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back to you shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied to a, at a doorway. 
as they untied it. Some people standing there ask, where are you going untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for today and what it symbolizes. And even though we're not in Jerusalem today, we're not there 2,000 years ago, we didn't see this happen, and we can't really truly put ourselves there and what it meant to sing that song in the palm branches on the donkey, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand, even though we're in Hawaii 2,000 years later, the significance of it. And not just because it is a good story and that's, that's really cool and that's neat and I'm glad that happened, but you would help us understand what does it mean for us now and how ought we respond to it. But Lord, I do pray that you would help us to really understand the meaning in all the detail. Um, God, we, we, we love you. And just as much of the crowd saw you as king, pray that our hearts would, would see you the same. We would acknowledge you the same. And that it would, we would respond to you in the same way that they did at the sight and sound of your name. They worshipped you. I pray that that would be the overwhelming response of our heart this morning as well. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have to understand, this is a very significant moment. There was three years of Jesus' public ministry in northern Israel that happened prior. Right? Much of the Gospels is actually prior to this moment. Right? We're leading up to the ending. Right? This is the week leading up. Like this Friday, Jesus will go to the cross, and then Sunday he'll rise from the dead. But all of the miracles that you've read about, the feeding of the 5,000s, the healing, the Lazarus from the dead, forgiveness of sins, calling of the first disciples, many coming to faith, many following Jesus, the whole Sermon on the Mount, the Pharisees and the Sadducees' objections. I mean, you name it, the gospel accounts. Most of it happened three, in a three-year span right before this moment. And if you know the Gospels at all, it's really interesting because when something really big happens a lot of times or there's a crowd and someone gets healed or there's a reference that Jesus might be the Son of God or the Messiah or the Savior of the world, what's, what's weird is that often Jesus tells his disciples, don't, don't spread that news around. Don't tell anyone. Almost like keep it secret, which is really strange. Because if you want to spread, spread this gospel, this good news, why would you ever do that? 
And it's interesting because up until this moment, the time was not right. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. There's a lot of opinions as to why Jesus would tell his disciples, don't spread the news yet that I am the Messiah, the Savior, not only to the Jews but to the rest of the world. Don't do it yet. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, maybe the crowds would get too big or maybe there would be too much opposition and maybe it would impede his ministry. There's many ideas. But it all comes to a head today because what we see in our text today is Jesus isn't stopping anything. He's actually, (laughs) it's a procession publicly announcing his kingship. And there's very significance into the animal that he rode on, the palm branches, the timing. It's all connected and the time is right And after three years of public ministry, now is the time for him to be heralded as the Messiah. And and even understand, for us, there's not a lot of significance to the Messiah, but to Israel and to the Jews, there's thousands of years of their people's history that they've been waiting for the Messiah. This is the story of their people. This is the story of their land, of their ancestors. The Messiah would save them. Right? They're under Roman rule. They're under Roman oppression. They're being taxed by this foreign power. They've been waiting for years. There's been prophecy after prophecy about the Messiah. So you have to understand, for us, it's like we might not hold any weight. The Messiah or the idea of a Savior might not hold any weight. But for, to, them, to them, it was like this is what we've been waiting for, and this, this is everything. This is the Savior that is going to save us. But Jesus said, don't do it until right now, like today. So the significance of the moment cannot be downplayed. It's, 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 and one of the most significant things, which we might not think it's significant at all, is the donkey. Jesus could have walked in. He could have used easily a horse. People could have carried him. There's all kinds of different ways he could have entered into the city as the king. Right? This is the time that he's been waiting for, that the world's been waiting for. But what is the significance of Jesus riding on a donkey? Well, right, normally, conquering kings coming into the capital city, what would, what would happen? You would usually ride in chariots or on horseback. Right? There would be a huge military presence, right? Think of history in general. When you want to show, show force, show power, show dominance, it's, it's the biggest animal or the biggest tank or it's the biggest army. It's a show of force. But it's very significant that Jesus chose like a baby donkey, random donkey. He just went and got. Jesus, again, wasn't just an ordinary king or military ruler or some kind of king that was going to just overthrow the Roman world in the Roman rule and oppression, but he was the king of heaven. He was God's son. He was the king of the earth. He was the savior of the earth. And so Jesus rode in on a donkey not only to show that he was a humble servant and he was going to rule very differently than another than a military leader, but Jesus rode in on a donkey to fill a prophecy about a Messiah that every Jew in that city would have known. 
And it was out of Zechariah 9, 9 and 9, 10. And to make sure their readers realized it. Again, like I said before, each of the gospel accounts mentions Jesus riding on a donkey. If, if you read other situations with Jesus, sometimes details are left out, but the donkey is not left out of all four accounts. The gospel writers even record Jesus' specific instructions to his disciples to go to a village where they'd find a donkey with her colt beside her. They were, unto- uh, they were told to untie both animals and bring them to Jesus. Matthew 24, 21, excuse me, 4 through, one, uh, 4 through 5, explains that this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah, which says this. Say to the daughter of Zion, or Jerusalem, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The donkey wasn't just the animal that was left over or the only thing he could find. But the time was right. It was the week of Passover. He specifically told his disciples to go get a donkey because of what Zechariah's prophecy would say. See, the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, of riding into Jerusalem on the fowl of a donkey, was an unmistakable fulfillment of God's word, declaring to all that he is the rightful successor to the king, and from this moment on that his kingdom would be eternal. Again, I wish we were Jewish for a second in Jerusalem. I wish we had been waiting for thousands of years. But you cannot even imagine the moment that for years they've been hearing about this person, Jesus. Many believed, many didn't. And then all of a sudden, on the week of Passover, when the city was swelled by like tenfold, because everyone from around the region would come over, come to Jerusalem as pilgrim, pilgrimage, the city was swelling with people. And you cannot even imagine when they saw this, this man Jesus that had claimed for years and proven for years to be the Messiah now riding on a donkey. You could just imagine if you were like a young Jewish boy or girl. Excuse me. <clears throat> sorry. Can I get a bottle of water? Sorry. Thank you. Got a little tickle in my throat. You cannot even imagine the feeling like... If I was there, I'm like really excited and as you can tell, I would be hitting my friends like, is he riding, is that a donkey? Do you, is that a donkey? Zachariah, do you remember what we learned? Thank you, buddy. Kaimana, God bless you. Right, but not everybody believed and so it was mixed. If you believed in the prophecy, if you believed that Jesus was who he said he was, if you believed that riding in on the donkey was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, right, that would be your reaction. But many did not. There were very mixed reactions to this moment on the Mount of Olives some 2,000 years ago. Some praised him, and some would be the very ones to kill him later in the week. Think of the juxtaposition. This would be the city that Jesus would die, a brutal public execution. It was very mixed on who people thought Jesus was. But what did the majority in our story do today? 
One commentator described and recapped it like this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the first day of Holy Week, riding the fowl of a donkey, the palms were waved and laid on the road before him to celebrate the King of the Jews. Three times a year, the population of Jerusalem swelled, especially so during the Passover celebration. These pilgrims now in Jerusalem recognized Christ riding the fowl of a donkey into Jerusalem as a declaration of victory and salvation. The first thing that I want to note here is these palm branches. What's the significance of laying down coats and palm branches? Well, laying, you know, people just taking their coats or palm branches on the ground was a symbolic way for the people to treat Jesus as their king. And you have to understand, it's not like, I mean, Hawaii, we don't really wear sweaters or jackets. But it's not, these jackets, these coats that is speaking of here, it's, it's not just a coat because they were cold. For many of them, this is what they would sleep with. This is their blanket. This was, you know, many were pilgriming at the time. This would be the thing that not only would they wear to keep warm, but this would be the thing that, was, that, that they slept with at night. Um, a lot of people didn't have a lot of things back then, so coats were very valuable. It was meaningful, but in the sight of Jesus riding on the donkey, they just threw their coats right away. What's most important and valuable, like, this is the king. This is the king. This is, the, this is Mashiach, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. They threw their coats down. Also, palm branches have a symbolic meaning to the Jews of today and in ancient times. Um, palms, along with other tree branches, are a part of the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, Sukkot. And during Sukkot, right, um, Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem to remember God's provision for them, and not only as they wandered in the wilderness, but also to anticipate the promised messianic age. Palm branches were symbolic to them that the Messiah had come, that the messianic age had started. And like when any king or conquering ruler entered a city, right, people would create a, a carpet by putting their coats or branches on the ground to welcome them. Like even today we use the phrase, you know, roll out the red carpet for someone of prominence or of power or of prestige. But in this case, that's what they did. They grabbed the palm branches, they grabbed the coats, and the, the Mount of Olives and where it's talking about is not, um, it's about a half mile wide from the top. Not a big valley, but you can imagine there's tens of thousands of extra people. A commotion has started. People are literally cutting down palm branches. They're throwing their coats and they're making a quote-unquote red carpet because they're heralding their Messiah into the city of Jerusalem on the Passover week. In this case, right, not everyone, but lots of people in the crowd we're acknowledging heaven's king, the son of God, the Mashiach, the Messiah. The second thing to note, though, is that the crowd's response was that they began to sing as well. Not only did they throw what was most valuable and symbolic and meaningful for their king, but they began to sing. These pilgrims and natives sang, sang praises and shouted, Hosanna to the king of righteousness who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in Hebrew literally means 
Like, I beg you to save or please deliver us. This would be like a freedom chant or a freedom prayer. Not only do we want to accompany you into the city and we recognize you to king, but they're actually singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, deliver us. It's this song or it's this hymn of praise. And the crowds begin to cry out and break out in song of what they hoped their publicly acknowledged Savior would do. But an important question to ask would be, what was the crowd's expectations of Jesus' kingship? What would, what would his kingship bring? Like I brought up, most of them shot too low or too temporal with their expectations. See, many that did believe that Jesus was the Messiah What their hope, and really their primary hope was, is that Jesus would overthrow the oppressive Roman government in Jerusalem once and for all and restore their people and their land. You see, for most, they saw Jesus as one who would free them politically, socially, and religiously. And that's really all that they were concerned about. It was their temporal situation. They wanted their land back. They didn't want to pay pay taxes to Caesar anymore. But what did Jesus actually do? Well, we're going to get to that Friday and Sunday as we approach Good Friday and Easter. But what Jesus ended up doing was something very different. See, Jesus did not merely come to free Israel in a temporal, worldly sense. But rather... He came to bring healing, peace, salvation, and forgiveness to the whole world. See, their their sight was on Israel, right? That was their world. And for many of us, I think we treat Jesus the same. Jesus, we want you because we want our own life fixed. We want you to fix our problem, fix our marriage, fix our problem with our parents, Uh, get me a job, right? We, We so often treat Jesus as our own personal savior. That's what Israel's doing. Israel just wants their land back and their people back and their traditions back and free of Roman oppression. Again, that was nearsighted. Jesus was not and is not only Israel's Savior or only our personal Savior or the Savior to the Jews, but rather to every people of every land of every age. He was coming in to Jerusalem on that day, only him really knowing that he would die a brutal death on a cross, only him really knowing that he would rise from the dead three days later to defeat sin, death, and the devil, and the penalty, and the power of sin over humanity, and he would not only save Israel from their own sin and disobedience to their God, but he would offer that same salvation and restoration and redemption to the whole world, to every people and every age. They not only were ushering in Israel's king, they were ushering heaven's king. Why this moment is really important for the Christian, not not just then, but for now, is this. Like, what's the application, right? What should should this cause us to do? 
And again, I think it would depend on what you think of Jesus. I think of the crowds that day. There was very mixed opinions. If you thought Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the world, what'd you do? I mean, you treated him that way. You threw your coat, you threw the palm fronds, you worshiped him, you sang praises, you sang hymns. Like, this is my king. So you acted accordingly. Right? And so today for us, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be true of us too, right? Is he your king or not? Or is he your Lord or not? Right? Did you, um, did you, quote unquote, did you throw your cloak in front of Jesus that day? Or if you were in the crowd that day, would you see Jesus and would you say, who's that guy? What's he think he doing? What's he doing? Why is that significant? Why does that matter? Because I think this, it's the same way for us. Each of us, personally, have a different thought about who Jesus is. And in light of who we believe he is or isn't, that will cause a different response. If you're in this room today, listening online, and if you are not sure, you do not know how you feel about Jesus. If you truly do believe that he is who he said he was, believe what the Bible says about him, what he did on the cross, what it means for us. If you're not sure, you don't know, or you don't believe, I would encourage you to press into that and wrestle with your doubts to who it is that the person of Jesus really is and what he actually claimed to dig in, to not just hear this and think it's not meaningful, but I believe it's very meaningful and very important. We all need to figure out who it is that we really do believe Jesus to be. I challenge you to do that. But if you do acknowledge him to be king, I think for most of us, probably if you're coming to church on a Sunday, this would be you. If you're listening to this on YouTube or whatever, this would probably be you. That you, you do believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You believe that God sent his only son to die on a cross, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That we were sinful and disobedient in need of a savior, and Jesus is the only one that would forgive our sins and restore that right relationship with God. If that's you, that's me. If that's you also, well, what should our response be? Well, it should be like the crowds. And I want to encourage us, like today, like we're going to enter into another time of worship. Like, let's rejoice in worship. Let's shout and stand and proclaim Hosanna. And I know that Jesus isn't in the room with us and he's not riding on a donkey and the whole crowds around us aren't singing Hosanna. But I pray and hope that our hearts and minds can get there today. If you believe that he is king, that we can enter in and rejoice and not be ashamed of those around us or, or what we look like, but we can freely shout and praise and stand up or kneel down or whatever it is, but that we would, our hearts would 
praise and rejoice him in this place. I want to actually invite the worship team up right now, and I would like you to join me in a prayer to close our time. And if I can, something a little bit different is I would love for you to join me in praying this prayer. But perhaps it might be best if you close your eyes, bow your heads, and just agree with this prayer with me um, as we enter into this time of worship. Lord Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are exalted above all others. You are worthy of praise. You are mighty to save. Nothing is too hard for you. You have defeated death and the grave. We do not have to fear because you are victorious. Your kingdom is eternal and will never end. Help us see as you are, victorious yet meek, powerful but loving, patient and just. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that understands your kingdom and your reign. Help us trust your sovereignty over all creation and your authority in our lives. Help us not turn our backs on you when things don't go as we expect. Give us strength and endurance as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your humility. We rejoice in your eternal reign. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You're the only sovereign one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. Thank you.